Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. This is uh, Jacob, Daniel 3 Podcast. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. Sorry it has been a while since the last episode has been dropped. There's been a lot going on. And I will be doing an episode soon to kind of catch all of you up as to what um, what I've been doing the past few months since I uh, dropped a new audio episode, at least. There are, for those of you who watch on YouTube, there are, have been uh, more episodes. We're currently up to episode 60, but the audio is lagging behind. And so I, I really do apologize for that. And, um, you know, things will be better going forward. I'm going to get caught up now. Um, so this is a conversation I had back in January uh, with Rachel Blackfire and her husband, Jake, uh, as a January edition of the Colin show. And we had a conversation on a few different issues that, although they were hot topics back then, they are rather evergreen topics that, uh, you know, it shouldn't be a big deal that there was a big gap between when I initially streamed that conversation and when I'm putting it out now in the audio. Um, we talked about a few different things. Um, this was around the time that I guess like the uh, Texas abortion bill was passing and there was a lot of debate over the libertarian take on that. And um, as somebody, you know, who is personally pro-life, uh, you know, I... And but who is also a, you know, whose political views, you know, would would tend towards that of, you know, anarcho-capitalism. I had a lot of things, you know, that were going into, you know, what my feelings were on, you know, such le- legislation. And I, I guess what I was going, trying to go after was that um, while I'm against um, using the state to solve problems that I think have to be solved on the the cultural and spiritual level. At the same time, I am in favor of, of decentralization of power. And so going from the federal government having a one-size-fits-all for the entire country to each individual state having their own legislation, to me, is a positive uh, move towards liberty, towards more... Uh, local and decentralized power. Um, so that was sort of, uh, I guess, like the the general theme of the discussion. And although we do kind of go a little bit into different topics as well, but that that is sort of the main theme. So um, it was a good conversation. Um, so go ahead, give it a listen. Um, as far as, uh, again, there will be uh, a concerted effort on my part to get the rest of the uh, un- unuploaded episodes added soon. So stay tuned for those and we'll get caught up and then we'll return to business as normal. So here we go. Here is my conversation with Rachel and Jacob. Uh, okay. It says we're live now. 
So uh, we're just going to shoot the shit for a little bit while we're waiting for people to join in. Um, if anybody misses the intro, feel free to complain in the comments, and I don't care. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I feel like uh, this is our first time kind of talking, but I've, I've, uh, I've always uh, liked follow. I follow you guys both on Facebook, and I've always appreciated well, you your. You can't uh, be following me on Facebook. I haven't had a Facebook. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe not anymore. But uh, uh, I don't know. I've always uh, liked following you guys, and uh, I like the I like the group you guys started. The uh, the the shit statists say, or the the group where we pretend to be statists. Ah, uh, yeah, the group. I remember yeah. that group. That, was, that, that group was, was hijacked because um, if you get banned from Facebook and you have a large group, it'll just offer the group to random people in it. And they can claim it, and the group. Yeah, I uh, forgot uh, you both got you got. Yeah, I forgot you both got zucked, and then with Rachel, the you came back. Day. We were on a date when it happened. Um, starting Facebook groups is is actually part of how we first became like a, a, a couple or whatever. So, uh, we I you know we'd been friends, and I made her an admin of this group that I came up with called uh, ANCAP versus ANCOM dating group. Yeah, there was already there was already the debate group, so I made the dating group, and uh, I, I don't know. At some point, I, I sensed she was interested, so I, at some point, I, I said something uh, in a comment along the line. It was quasi inside joke along the lines of that. Uh, what was it that she gets moister than an oyster at the other admin or something? This video is now demonetized. Oh god, I wasn't even monetized. It's all good. Uh, my, my, uh, my good friend Hody's in the, uh, in the chat. So I guess we have a, a mutual friend and yeah, Hody's awesome. Hody's somebody who, uh, has sometimes got, come under attack by people in my crowd, but I've always tried to defend him because I think he's a good guy. So thank you. Thank you, Hody. And yeah, I mean, you know, even though this is like the, it's like, I, I don't know, like Twitter isn't real life. I always feel like a lot of times, uh, disagreements on Twitter and, LP drama and stuff. It's like people just assume that's like, oh, if you disagree, you you guys like, you know, it can seem like you hate each other. And it's like, I really don't hate anybody. Like even people that I think hate me. And it's just like, I just I enjoy debate and enjoy argumentation and good I like good robust like going back and forth of ideas. And um, I don't know. It's kind of kind of why I like this format of of like when I can invite people onto my show who don't just agree with me because. It's more fun that way to kind of have conversations with somebody who, you know, and I think we agree on a lot, but then it's fun to also talk about disagreements. So I think that's well, that begs the, the question: Do you hate like Kim Jong Un? You know, guy who sends people off to three generations of slavery and torture and executing children and stuff. I like I hate what he stands for and the evil that he's done, but like I don't know the guy, so there's no personal like. You know what I mean? Like for me, hate is something that I kind of conceptualize more in a personal framing. And, and it's like for somebody I've never met, it's like I obviously hate the things that he does. But and, in the abstract, it's not personal. It's not direct. Yeah. I mean, it it's like, and I mean, I guess this is probably my, my more Christian side coming out. But I don't know. I just I generally try to, uh, you know, always kind of appreciate that a lot of people are the product of bad upbringing i know this is something we agree on like on peaceful parenting and all that and um i'm just very aware of the fact that there's a lot of people out there who are just like acting out evil patterns that they were raised with or or acting out things that they were uh in the culture that they were raised in are you guys still there or are you just standing really still 
Yeah, I think I think I lost. I think I lost them for a while. I thought they were just like intently listening, and then. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm here by myself for a little bit. Um, uh, also, hey Jacob, congrats! I'm assuming this is a congratulations on uh, me announcing that uh, me and my wife are expecting. So, thanks, John. I appreciate that. Uh, Rachel and Jake will be joining us again soon, hopefully. Uh, ho- hopefully the the uh, didn't get you know banned from YouTube or something. <laughs> Staring intensifies. Yeah, I was just like, it, it, what's weird is that like I think it's you know for anyone that that's done podcasting before, there's this weird thing where it's like you have to look in the camera, so you're not really looking at your guests. But in the corner of my eye, I was just like, oh, are they just like really really interested in what I have to say? Uh, and then I was like, oh, no, they're just completely frozen. So now they're back. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, um, no, you, from our perspective, you froze. Uh, it seems Rachel's computer might suck because it likes to randomly disconnect from the internet. Jake, I'm going to send you the StreamYard link. In case we need to do it from mine. Yeah, yeah that makes I sense. would say go ahead and start setting it up. and I'll just have it ready to deploy. Yeah. Yeah, everything, everything stayed good on my end. I just... You guys suddenly went prison of mine. So 2022, we're not having these kind of issues. Yeah, dude, the, the, my stream last night was was janky too. I don't know if there's something going on with Streamyard or or, or what 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 it is, but uh, I don't know. We'll just keep we'll keep on keeping on. Hope hopefully we don't run into any more issues. But um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much of what I said you guys caught. But basically, I was just saying that uh, I don't get into like. Um, I try to not judge people too much because like we're both at like we all here agree on peaceful parenting. I know that's something we've talked about before. And I'm just very aware of the fact that a lot of people who do shitty things are products of like what they were raised in, whether that's both their parenting, the culture, et cetera. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, I can hate their actions. I can hate like the, the environment that they're in and stuff like that. But it's like, I, I try not to hate the person because I always try to imagine like, well, what if I, you know, had had been raised in their circumstances, maybe I would have gotten all twisted up and, you know, been led to do those evil things. It's hard to say. I mean, there's the whole nature versus nurture thing, but I try to, I don't know, always look for the best in people. Also kind of the determinism versus free will thing. Sure, sure. That also plays a plays a role in it as well. Um, There is only a very small number of people that I could really say that I hate on like on a personal level and there are people that i i have personal issues with yeah you know, I, I, would, I would agree with that your laptop and pull up Streamyard, so you'll at least be yeah you you like it won't your um screen won't be live but you'll at least be in the studio and then if mine gives out he can just click to add you to the stream yeah opening it Do you, you have a webcam attached i have a built-in okay. it's probably crap but it's built in i mean that's why it's crap okay um, all right. I, I've I, I, a laptop should be good. Uh, Streamyard sucks with phones, though. I, I once did a did a whole episode with somebody on a phone, and that was like, that was a little. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't care about polish too much, but that episode's hard to, not not one for the, uh, you know, wouldn't put in my top ten. So I'll just wait for him to get that other thing. Open I, I got it. I have it ready to deploy. If this okay, one. ready. Okay, cool. So. Um, all right. So, I mean, you know, I think we've kind of sh- did a little bit of shooting the shit for the beginning. So, uh, good evening, uh, those who are, you know, tuning in and watching live. 
Uh, this is the Daniel Three Podcast, and uh, this is a January edition of the Colin Show. Um, I have uh, two guests here tonight, uh, Rachel and uh, my my uh, uh, another Jake, uh, a doppelganger, <laughs> and uh, we're we're here to talk about a couple of different issues. I mean, we've we've had uh, especially me and Rachel on Twitter a little you know back and forth on certain issues, uh, um, you know, over over the past several months and. Um, she expressed interest in coming on and discussing these things, and uh, I, I was all game because I, I like having conversations with people on, on these topics and seeing if I can have my mind changed, seeing if I can learn more. Um, I genuinely believe in, um, I don't know if you guys like him or not, but I always like, uh, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson, and I always liked his one rule, which was always assume the person you're talking to uh, knows something that you don't, and that's how I try to approach these kind of conversations. So, um, maybe if you guys, you know, if you want to introduce yourselves a little bit, just to talk about your background and sort of like, you know, how you've come to libertarianism as, as fellow libertarians, and then we can, you know, get into the topics that we want to discuss. Would you like to go first? Um, to put it succinctly in a fashion, which won't take an hour, <laughs> uh, I grew up very directly experiencing the state. Hmm. Uh, most of the bad things you associate with the state, at least domestically, uh, affected me directly growing up. Okay. Um, Sum it up in phrases. I can I can appreciate that. You just have little images, like you know, I'm a teenager, and I got um, I got seven cops beating the hell out of me while I'm in handcuffs for a victimless crime after tasing me with uh, feces in my britches, um, and then lying all over the police report to throw the book at me. You uh, got. You know, the, the state when I was younger, uh, tearing down my parents' business based on tax stuff, which was uh, egregious even by their own standards. Troubled mm. teen industry? Oh, uh, yeah. the whole the, the, we have in common. The whole troubled teen industry uh, enforced by the state. I was literally, when I was uh, 16, I was literally a slave. Uh, that sounds excessive to say, but well, you can decide for yourself. Basically, I, I'm sent to this place, uh, and the, it's a ranch, uh, New Beginnings at 7D's Ranch. And day one, the rancher says to me, uh, as I'm being kind of onboarded, says to me, you're going to tend to my cattle, you're going to do my farm work, you're going to clean my house, you're going to do what I tell you, and if you refuse, if you sass me, if you try to escape, the closest neighbor is the deputy. We're going to find you. And we got custody of you. My wife works at a mental asylum. We're going to check you in there. The deputy's going to bring you. And he's got dogs. We're going to find you. And they don't have to let you leave. They're subsidized by the state per patient. They don't want to let you leave. So the, the paradigm is tend to my cattle, be a, you know, toil in the, literally toil in the fields all day, every day, uh, shoveling feces and stuff or be indefinitely detained in a mental asylum by force of the police. So uh, I'd call that slavery. You know, it's not the, the old fashioned kind with, with whipping and hanging and stuff, but it's still the use of violence to, or the threat of violence to, to compel labor. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. That's, that, and that's, that's, that's a really that sounds rough. Um, I guess that's just a few little snippets. Um, you know, I also, you know, from the time I was 11 years old, uh, basically, child labor laws. I I, I wanted I need kind of needed to make some money, uh, and child labor laws prevented prevented me from doing so by legal yeah. means from just going and getting a job. 
So I get into black markets, markets that were uh, artificially prohibited by the state. And then due to the war on drugs, I see a lot of, uh, I, I'm getting involved in a lot of really awful things that only prohibition is, is well, chiefly prohibition is causing, you know, you don't yeah. see right Aid go shoot up Walgreens or something. There's um, something, uh, there's something especially like to, to use maybe to attack the left from the left. There, there's a, something especially like privileged about child labor laws, like especially like upper class yeah. white liberals who, you know, act like if we didn't have child labor laws, like, you know, people would be working in coal mines and stuff. And it's like, actually, it's because of a lot of, I mean, the state that we have, like, if you don't want children working in barbaric places, our current system is actually pretty bad at doing that. But it's pretty good at preventing, you know, um, you know, young people like 13 and up from developing skills that they can, de you know, develop to become self-sufficient and take care of themselves and perhaps to escape toxic, you know, environments that they're being forced to, to live in because they don't have any other options. So it's, yeah, those are, those are all pretty, uh, harrowing experiences you described. And I, I imagine, you know, they definitely played a, a role in shaping your, your view of the state. Cause you kind of saw the, uh, the belly of the beast pretty close up from what it sounds like. So well, um, but they do it to every kid in a sense in that, I, I had some extreme examples, but every single kid is in a paradigm right now in which they are compelled to, uh, they, they must obey whatever guardian they live with. And should they not want to live with that guardian, should they want to, you know, go make it on their own, as many kids are perfectly competent to do. I know I was, I certainly had the money well before I was 18. Um, that's illegal. I was homeless a bunch of times because of this, because I, I was not going to accept being subservient to somebody, but no one would sell or lease a home to me. Um, so kids are faced with be obedient or be homeless. And then even being homeless when you're a kid, that's and in many places when you're an adult, totally illegal too. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> um, we, we could go on this for a while, but yeah, uh, what, uh, Rachel, maybe, uh, you know, uh, talk about your, your, your journey, introduce yourself a little bit. Um, wait, do you want to go over like the ideological journey, Jake? Like, just do a summary, like two, two um, or three sentences on that. Okay, I was raised by Republican parents, and uh, when I was 14, I by then was already very well fed up with government. I didn't know you don't actually need one. Uh, so I kind of in, thought I invented minarchism when I was 14, basically. I went to my dad and said, hey, there should there should be a new political party let's, called the Essentialist Party. And the premise was that, like, the state would only do the most essential of things and, uh, be, you know, basically a night watchman state I came up with. And uh, my dad said, well, they already have that. That's the Libertarian Party. And so I went on, like, LP.org, read the platform, and, uh, yeah, I fell in love with it. And then I was a minarchist about four years, and then... When I was 18, uh, I was doing a lot of psychedelics, dropping a lot of acid and stuff, and simultaneously getting exposed to uh, anarchists online, uh, you know, like Larkin Rose and stuff. And, yeah. and it, it uh, as soon as I see the phrase anarcho-capitalism, then it immediately clicked for me that all the things that I thought that I'd assumed only a state can do, you know, protection of life and property and stuff, that uh, the market can totally do it, and immediately I realized would do it way better, and yeah. uh, and that, that was pretty much it. 
and I, I've been an anarchist ever since. Yeah. Once you once you have that that red pill, it's kind of hard to like. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah. I mean, people that go from anarchist to minarch, like who go back, like, uh, oh, what's that Kyle one guy's Wagner. name? Kyle um, Wagner. They always demonstrate. I've talked to a few of these people. They always demonstrate at some point that they never really got it to begin with. Exactly. I'm trying to remember. I- I'm blanking on his name. Um, crap. Kyle he was Wagner. a. Well, there's Kyle Wagner, but there was another one I was thinking of. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll remember it later. He was a guy who. Scotty. Uh, no, he was a guy who was um. He he was running for uh, some some LP position, but then he kind of bailed on us and went back to the Republican Party. Augustus um, Invictus. No, God, I, I'm just I'm just totally freaking blinking. No, Austin Peterson. Austin Peterson. That's who I'm thinking of. Oh, I was, yeah. I guess he was an anarchist. Very briefly. Very briefly. Yeah. So Austin. Yeah, Austin Peterson was like very briefly an ANCAP, and then. You know, suddenly decided like, oh no, anarcho-capitalism is totally flawed because it can't answer all these things that if any any self-respecting anarcho-capitalist knows that like you know if you've read if you've read like two articles on anarcho-capitalism, it's like these questions would have been answered. Like, well, but what if warlords take over? It's like, oh wow, we've never we've never had any ideas on that topic. Like, it's just it's just silly. Um, yeah, no, cool. That, that I, I like that. Uh, Rachel, you want to talk about yourself for a little bit? Um, I'm sure she does, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm shy. Um, I have never, like, had a adherence to authority um, just because I come from, like, a, a, a family life that's so bad i just never had like the, uh, any respect for parental authority so i just mm-hmm. didn't have um respect i i like i like you know we've talked about the peaceful parenting thing like generally this like will have the opposite effect on children but for me it was just like i did i didn't have an adherence to authority so it was easier able to see how like other um forms of authority just were arbitrary um so i i grew up surrounded by very um statist um christian republicans so i i i was liberal as like a default and then when i was 15 i was talking to um a, a history teacher at my school who was also the um sponsor of the gay straight alliance for my school um just about political stuff and i said well i like the democrats on most issues but i disagree with them on guns and he said you should check out the libertarian party and that's basically how i became a libertarian because i i um started looking into libertarianism because of that and just got further and further pushed by seeing how like the world around me was um that the state was an inadequate solution to people's problems um and then when i was 18 i was talking to a friend who i had met who'd been a candidate for the libertarian party um about these things and they told me about the non-aggression principle and i was just like well yep that's correct so i must be an anarchist and then i learned more about different schools of anarchist thought from there um so I would say I'm a market anarchist. 
Um, but I'm very active in the LP still. Okay. As opposed to a markets are, pro are prohibited anarchist. <laughs> I'm always like curious, and like this isn't what, something we plan to talk about, but like I'm always curious to like hear what the difference between a market anarchist is and an anarcho-capitalist is, because sometimes I feel like it's either a distinction without a difference or it's just mutualists who don't want to be honest about being mutualists, but... <laughs> I'm sure it means different things for different people. I just don't feel like debating what the term capitalism means. Every I, I feel that. By my political ideology, like, by the definition communists hold for capitalists, um, I'm an anti-capitalist. By the definition and caps hold, I'm pro-capitalism, so... And it's kind of, yeah, I, I feel you there. And, like, the history of the term is, you know maybe not the ultimate thing, but like capitalism as the idea was kind of invented by people who were criticizing it. So now you could say maybe we want to co-op it and make it good again, but yeah, there's, there's only limited utility to like dying on the hill of defending uh, a word. If you can describe the same thing with a different word. So. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I feel like if it makes it easier to work with um, left libertarians for a common goal, to not constantly be referring to myself as a capitalist, then I, I I wouldn't refer to myself as like like if I'm just gonna have to debate them on end about the term, then it, it just becomes pointless. Like we could be working together to do things. Whereas yeah. I just say cap I just say anarcho capitalist, uh, because I think she's right that to some extent the term is contentious, but I think that uh, it's chiefly contentious in a very small sphere i think maybe you know you have one or two percent of the population of the world would define capitalist as this uh you know, hegemonic system uh, you know of exploitation of the poor and stuff it's basically just anti-capitalists that have this weird definition for it where sure. i think most recognize the term capitalist to you know the way i inherently did just to mean uh free exchange in the context of, of free ownership and stuff. right well i i like it and i had this conversation with zach Britt um like like a couple months ago when he was on my show who's more of a left anarchist and for me it's like i just i i like to i don't want i don't want to like hide behind what my beliefs are economically and it's like i'm very opposed to the like socialism meaning the collective ownership of the means of production so it's like if I had a better word than capitalist to describe that I'm pro the private ownership of the means of production, then I would I would gladly use that term. But it just seems like if I don't, it's like, although I don't want to get into like a, you know, endless debate over terminology, uh, market anarchist just sometimes it's like it's so vague because it's like, well, everyone has a, you know, mutualists would say they're market anarchists, even a lot of, you know, socialists would say that they have a market of sorts or something, maybe. No, yeah, so I don't know. It's kind of identifies as both. Anyway, it's just it's an interesting di dichotomy, you know. Not uh, well, Jacob, I would I would bet uh, I would bet money that you, if you were to see a situation where you have collective ownership of means of production, however, that came about in the form of a bunch of friends that are workers got together and decided to start a co-op. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, you would not take issue with that. You would take no. issue strictly with, you know, uh, like I have a business. If somebody, if the workers of that business were to forcibly usurp that business for me, then you would take issue because then we're talking about aggression. 
Oh yeah. And, well, I I don't view that as collective ownership. I view that as it's still private. It's just there's a group that's <laughs> privately owning that. Yeah, production. yeah. We're getting into the five-hour esoteric word yeah. that means nothing. Yeah. Uh, a let's just decriminalize drugs. A, a co-op is technically a form of a entity which qualifies i think as both a form of capitalism and a form of socialism um it, it, i don't know maybe in that it's it just worker it it, 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 it kind of like rachel said it all becomes how you define your terms and it's not unimportant i find it interesting but it, it, it also is hard to settle it because it, you know everyone's gonna not everyone's gonna agree to the exact same you know framework and stuff so um i mean ultimately uh, as an anarchist i kind of believe in a sort of like if we had an actual you know, widespread, you know, uh, anarchist society. It would ultimately be panarchist in a sense where, you know, different different areas and different communities are going to kind of organize and govern themselves differently and but still kind of get along with each other. So, you know, that's kind of the way I view it. So where I was going with that is I, I thoroughly agree with that assessment. And sometimes Rachel and some others will feel the need to distinguish uh, people who are generally anarcho-capitalists will sometimes feel the need to distinguish, you know, that like I'm a panarchist, I'm a, I'm a, or I'm a anarcho like synergist. Um, but I hypothesize at least that essentially every anarcho-capitalist is also fine with people voluntarily doing whatever yeah. economic modes of production they want. For sure. Yep, I agree with that. So, um. So yeah, I think we've highlighted a lot of the areas where we, you know, obviously see eye to eye on, which is not surprising. You know, uh, a lot of times the, the divisions we have can seem bigger because we focus on them. But but we did, uh, you know, we did agree to talk about some of those. So let's get into some of them. Um, maybe the first one, you know, just an easy one we can spend five minutes on because it's that easy would be abortion. So, you know, <laughs> it's obviously sarcasm. <laughs> I've watched um are you familiar with tyler bluntman yeah yeah are you familiar with vosh yes i watched that debate that was yeah yeah three fucking hours <laughs> same talking point for three fucking hours and if i threw you off a roof but i could uh, yeah just the whole like yeah that was that was a little painful to listen to um but uh yeah you know i mean yeah, i guess i'll start out by highlighting my views and you guys can Maybe then jump in with where you disagree. Um, I mean, you know, morally as a Christian, but even I don't necessarily have to make a strict Christian argument. Um, I, I view abortion as the wrongful taking of life. If you want to frame that as murder, okay. Uh, I don't always like to frame it as murder because I don't know if every woman who seeks an abortion is, you know, has malicious intent. Um, I'm not even sure every doctor that would perform an abortion has malicious intent. So I don't know if murder is the right word. Depends how you define it. But I think it's the wrongful taking of life, and I'm 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 morally opposed to it. Um, obviously, the caveats being like there's obvious medical there's obviously medically necessary cases where you know you have to abort a fetus. But outside of those, I, I I'm 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 staunchly against it. Uh, but I'm also an anarchist. Ideally, I don't want you know a state to exist and while the state exists i would ideally not want the state to legislate abortion primarily because i think the state sucks at everything and the state trying to enact a prohibition on uh, abortion would be you know doomed in the same ways that prohibition on alcohol or prohibition on psychedelics or prohibition on sex work or prohibition on you know anything 
how it goes. It, it ultimately yeah. falls short and ends up causing more victims uh, in the long run. So um, those are generally my views. Um, uh, you know, uh, we can, uh, I could, I could go, I could go longer, but I guess I'll just, that's my summary of what my views are on the topic. Uh, you guys can uh, ask any questions you have of me. We can get more into detail or you can present your views, but uh, the, uh, the mic, the, the, the platform is yours now. Um, uh, okay, then I would say you're the most pro, pro, most reasonable pro-lifer I have talked to. Um, because, like, I think that your position is the correct one to take if you're personally pro-life. Um, because, like, we can see that the results of the Texas ban on abortion have been pretty disastrous. Um, there, there have already been deaths of people who couldn't get medical abortions because the state not knowing how to do fucking anything didn't make medical exceptions. Oh yeah, and there's there's already been criminal investigations of women who have had miscarriages, which is also mm-hmm. one of the primary reasons I'm against as as the husband of of someone who has had miscarriages and knows how awful that is. The last thing you want when you're going through that awful thing is, you know, uh agents of the state kicking down your door and shooting your dog and then, you know, hauling you off to investigate you for murder for something that you know it's just ridiculous to have the state be be investigating something like that so yeah i mean i'm 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 definitely with you there um uh i i think i think to some extent i don't know if we really have any disagreement here but you guys can you know comment more if you want and jake you too but i do think some of our disagreement here stems more into the other issue of like state rights versus federal rights are kind of like strategy in terms of decentralization but we can maybe save save that for the you know the latter part of the conversation um i ultimately feel like those two issues tie into the states yeah there's a tie-in on both so there is I feel like yep. that can be um tabled um do you have things to say no it sounded like he was asking me um, how I see abortion is, uh, this is actually something that's sometimes been contentious between me and Rachel, because it's not, it's not a, a hard difference in, uh, I- exactly in, in like policy stance in like how force should be applied. It's pretty much an emotional difference. I really don't like abortion. I, I just emotionally really don't like the idea. It strikes me as awful. Uh, and Honestly, I, I am prone to look at a person differently if I know they've had one. And I'm not talking about a, the, the scenarios where, you know, someone was raped or someone was, uh, you know, it's an, a medical emergency kind of thing. But somebody unnecessarily had one, I am going to see them differently. But is, but is, it, uh, is it, it strikes me, an unjust I'll killing? Get there. It strikes me as a very, very cold-blooded thing to do. And uh, that said, uh, as a as a libertarian and and a Rothbardian, uh, I look at everything in terms of a property dispute. Um, Who has the higher claim to the womb? I must concede that uh, as much as I don't like abortion, I cannot rightly force uh, the mother to harbor uh, that baby in there. In In other words, I don't think that she has a right to kill the baby for like to, you know, if Hypothetically, she could reach in and choke the baby or shoot the baby or stab the baby or something. Right, I, so making the evictionist that, argument. I think, that, I think that is murder. But 
I think she has a right to remove, as you as, a, as you have a right to remove anything or I guess anybody uh, from okay, your. Okay, so so let me let me ask you a question: If medical science advances to the point where artificial wombs, artificial wombs, or you can yeah. uh, transplant, or you know, there are ways to remove the fetus going back, you know, infinitely, like to the beginning. If there's ways to remove the fetus without killing it and to sustain its life, you know. Would you then view the choice to kill it rather than just to evict it as being wrong it, if medical science advanced to that point? So for the death of the fetus to not be murder, I think, uh, essentially the death has to be on an unintended consequence of the, of the rightful removal. act of removal. So okay. if they can just as easily remove it, you know, and then you've got a live fetus there and they can put it in an artificial womb and no kill it that's murder that's uh, that's i think unquestionably murder um you just put it in an artificial womb and i mean in, i'm inclined to believe that uh this technology is in our future uh, not that far i i mean no. they're already they have artificial wombs for uh goats at least it's been it's been done with a goat so you know we could be a few years away from doing it with people and i envision also the uh the Rothbardian conception of a, a free market in adoption would become relevant here. Right now, yes. the state uh, prohibits you from paying to adopt a child, from paying like the mother of the child. So what that means then is you eliminate economic incentive to carry the child to term or to you know let somebody adopt the child. I mean, Rothbard reference, there was a ring that was busted in uh, where affluent parents from New York were essentially buying adoption, not, I don't mean in an ownership sense, but you know, if baby needs a steward or it dies, they were buying stewardship of babies from poor Greek parents. And, uh, you know, they were doing it illegally. And, and I think the FBI or something busted them. But if you look at that scenario, everybody involved is better off. Uh, you know, the Greek parents, who could not afford to take care of a child, or certainly not comfortably, uh, they're, they're prevented from getting the money and losing the burden of, uh, you know, having to take care of a child they can't afford. The New York parents are better off because, well, they would, they would rather have, take care of the baby than have that money, as indicated by the exchange. And the baby is certainly better off, I think. Basically, anybody who would sell, uh, stewardship of their child should essentially you don't want people that would rather have a pile of money for whatever reason whether it's economic limitation on, in their own lives or simply not caring about their child or whatever reason they would do that that's the last person who should be raising the child i think the baby is better off going to the affluent new york parents who are willing to buy the baby rather than being stuck with the greek parents who were willing to sell the baby and I think with artificial wombs, it's likely to become a standard. I think that uh, economically and socially, mothers who are pregnant with babies that for whatever reason they don't want to raise themselves will be incentivized to uh, to go the, the route of artificial womb and, and for right. pay adoption. And in that paradigm where you can just as readily put the baby in an artificial womb, just remove it, put it in a womb, um, and, and somebody else raises the baby, I think any mother who, who still chooses to go the lethal route uh, would 
quite likely be uh, scorned, would be ostracized, would be seen as, you know, why on earth would you do that? That's horrible. Yeah. So, I, no, I, I mean, I, I, I agree. There's a time limit on this issue being an issue, at least in, in common prevalence. Yeah, and you know, it's like, there's a lot of ways that I could push back on what you're saying, but I'm also trying to, like, not let perfect be the enemy of, of the good. And, and this is where... I'll sometimes disappoint my fellow pro-life Christians and pro-life libertarians where it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't know, maybe it makes me a bit more pragmatic, but it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm anti-abortion, but like my end goal is to see less abortions. So everything you described there would lead to less abortion. So like, even if, you know, I would disagree with you on certain, you know, like, like nitpick on certain framings or philosophical, uh, you know, terminology, it's just like, I don't really disagree with you in the sense of like your heart and like the, you know, kind of like the direction that you're, you're pointing to as far as like this, this would make things better. And, you know, I can't, I can't disagree with that. And, you know, there's no, you know, I, I care more about the result than I do about like, you know, uh, using some sort of fiat to, you know, uh, declare on some piece of paper that abortion is murder. <laughs> it's like, it did, you know, because the latter doesn't do anything. Um, so, I mean, the only, the only, you know, we could maybe spend th three or four minutes on, on like the one, like the only counter to the evictionist argument, which is basically what you highlighted that I, that I think is somewhat interesting, but it can lead to just endless spiraling, like what Vosh and Tyler did, like Rachel mentioned. Um, you know, if I invite you uh, onto my plane, or let's say I didn't even invite you, let's say you snuck onto my plane. Okay, and then my plane takes off, and I discover that you were a stowaway, and you have you violated my property rights. You don't have a right to be there. You were uninvited. Um, do I have a right while we're in air to open up the cabin door and push you out? Well, I think it's a fundamental distinction whether I snuck on or whether you invited me on. If you invited me onto an airplane, an airplane which is alienable property, which you can give somebody else. Uh, a binding claim to, at least on a, a claim of access on a temporary basis, like selling them a plane ticket or something. Um, if you invited me, that would be murder. And if I snuck on, I would certainly think less of somebody who handles it by pushing them out, but ultimately I don't have a right to be there. Uh, and yes, I would say that as, as much as I would judge somebody who's pushing out of, people out of their planes because they, they snuck on and they're a stowaway, for me to say you don't have a right to push me out would mean that I'm saying that I have unilaterally seized a right to be there. What if it I said you have really... a right to push them out, but uh, your you know violations of property rights have to be dealt with uh, you know reciprocity in mind? You know, in the same way that you know if if you uh, let's say stole ten dollars from me and then I burned your house down. That's obviously, you know, those are those things are not even close. I'm being dramatic here, but in in the same way that extreme example shows like a incongruency or a lack of reciprocity, I think that you sneaking on my plane is certainly a violation of my property rights, and I could maybe when the plane lands, uh, you know, call my private DRO and and you know press charges against you, uh, put a restraining order against you. I don't know, like all sorts of things I could do, but to kill you, whether that comes by shooting you the minute I see you or by pushing you out the cabin door, um, I think is a, 
uh, incongruent and, and unreciprocal response where although uh, you were the one who initiated the violation of rights, I then uh, flipped the table and, and you know, I didn't just try to restore myself to the position I was before. I have now overcome your initial uh, initiation of aggression with my own uh, response that's, that's uh, superseded yours and caused your death. You know what I mean? Like, like your violation of my property rights to control who can be on my plane, who can't be, uh, is, is, does not forfeit your life, is what I would say. Well, you're referencing the proportionality doctrine. And the proportionality doctrine, I think, is relevant in punishment. Like, you know, I steal 10 ducks from you and you burn my house down. Uh, that would be, that's very disproportional as a punishment. However, in simply the direct, immediate enforcement of a person's rights, uh, we can't be bound to what the other person has already done. For example, if you walk up to me on the street, say I'm, I'm armed and you walk up to me on the street and start hitting me, you have not shot me. But... I would say I can justly shoot you in that scenario. I, I would, yeah, I would, I would kind of agree. It depends I, on the context, but there's a distinction between the use of force in the context of infor immediate enforcement of rights, like stopping the aggression, uh, versus punishment after the fact. But I think there's uh, a penalty. difference between like the, the example you just brought up is uh, somebody is actually there, there. There's a tangible and reasonable uh, potential that the person slapping you and attacking you means to cause you bodily harm, but it could perhaps even escalate to, to taking your life. Um, I think someone just sneaked I don't know plane. you're not a hijacker. You're on my plane. True. I mean, I think you might have a right to detain that person. And if that person w were to resist your attempt to detain them, that might then uh, be an escalation that would warrant deadly force. But I don't think that like the minute you find a stowaway on your, your plane that you're without any other things happening uh, that you're immediately uh, justified in just picking them up and pushing them out the window. <laughs> I, I do think there would have to be some sort of like uh, escalation by the stowaway that would have to present some kind of clear uh, threat to your life or a reasonable threat to your life in the same way that like I agree with you in the sense that, you know, somebody attacking you, you have a right to shoot them. But, you know, if somebody accidentally uh bumps into me on the street i can't like turn around and shoot them and go they meant to do that and they were trying to you know what i mean like there, there, there's and, and some of this gets into gray areas and stuff but i don't know this is where it can lead to endless circling but i i do think the proportionality there does need to matter in a sense and where it applies to abortion i think is that although i i do agree that a woman should have a right to their body i don't know if the woman's right to their body should necessarily supersede the the fetus's right to to, to, to not be killed just because it not through any fault of its own wound up inside the woman's body. Um, and it's an unfortunate circumstance. And I, I certainly, I do recognize it for a conflict of rights. It's not something that is clear cut, but I don't know. That's, that's where I, I, I come down on the issue at least. Well, uh, there's okay, ultimately, can I a tell I've been trying for a second or I've been in my head trying for a second. Give me a second. Um, in the, this applies both to the airplane example and in a different way to the abortion thing. For you, for me to go onto your plane uh, against your will, and you know sneak on, be a stowaway, 
and then you to be obligated to not push me out means that I can unilaterally impose a positive obligation on you, that I can grab against your will, the will of you, the plane's owner, I can grab a binding, at least on a temporary basis, a binding right to be in your property, that I can, through no consent or action of yours, uh, impose my higher claim of access to your property. But it's and not. It's just it, it's a it's really more just a, a fact of temporary inconvenience, whereas like you have a right to evict that person from your property. You just like have to land the plane first. And so there's a temporary inconvenience. But it's like, again, the circumstances being that they are, it's like you have no way to evict the person without killing them. Um, I mean, at the very least, if you were going to kick them out, I would I would expect you to at least give them a parachute. <laughs> if you give them a parachute and kick them out. It's like, well, OK, you're giving them. I don't know. Even that seems a little bit over the top but uh you know in, in the same way that like i have a right to evict you off of my 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 land but if i push you out in front of a moving truck i don't know i think that's a little morally uh dicey <laughs> just because i have a, just kind of a right to push you i don't think that me saying you don't have a right to kill somebody who hasn't presented a clear threat to your life is a positive obligation i just think it's the enforcement of a negative one but Upholding that, if we were to suppose that positive obligation, upholding that means, even if on a short temporary basis, like the 30 minutes or so it might take you to land the plane or maybe an hour, that you have unilaterally made me have an obligation to let you access my property. If I can't just immediately remove you from it, um, you know, because I now have an obligation to take care of your life. In other words, for me to be concerned with your life and rather than simply uh, my own property, that means that in essence, the, the product of my labor, even on a basis of you know, 30 minutes of inconvenience to me, and I would not in real life. Uh, well, you would have a right to, to you'd have or, a right to, you, you could have a right to, uh, you know, press charges against that person to be like, you put me in a situation where uh, because we were up in the air. I had to give you uh, a right to my property that I had not consented to. Now, I didn't have a right to kill you, but I do have a right to sue you and, and ask for financial compensation. So, so I, that I would think mean that, that in that scenario, I, I have a property that I'm, there's an aggression in progress in my property. Right, and the aggression is a form of theft, and I would agree with you. But I don't think that, that all forms of theft— I can't stop the aggression, though. I, I, in other words, you're saying I have a right— to punish after the fact, but not a right to immediately defend against the aggression. It just depends. I think it depends I on the have context. Some obligation to the aggressor. Um, in the same way that if I caught my employee stealing from me, I wouldn't shoot them. Like I would be like, you know what I mean? Like if I if I caught like let's say past tense, uh, you were employed with me, and I found out that over the course of several months, you have been stealing money from me periodically, small amount. Uh, I can't immediately solve that. You know what I mean? I can't immediately, like, uh, wield force against you and make you restore all the money that you've stolen from me yeah, in one instance. Yeah, that's where self-defense is not possible. But if you if you happen to catch me reaching into your register in the moment and you do have the ability to stop it, then self-defense does apply. And then uh, the the cash register theft equivalent of the plane scenario would be if for whatever reason you can't like i absolutely will not go oh i'm caught here's the money 
you know, I say, no, I'm taking this and I'll fight you to the death over it. But it's different. But that's what I mean. Like for me, I position would be, well, that you ultimately, if it comes to it, can uh, kill me that you don't owe me. I, I agree with you to be able to and take your money. I agree with you in the same way that I agreed that if the stowaway resisted being detained, that could be, you know, I mean, again, it's like, uh, for me, it's just like, there has to be something more. It's not the mere act of being caught violating property rights. It's the being caught. And then if you resist the, those attempts to detain or those attempts to, to, to stop that, that to me is then when the escalation happens to the point to then where you would be justified in using uh, force and possibly lethal force. But again, I think there's a, you know, we, we can spiral around this. I don't mean to cut you off because, I mean, it's a good debate and your point is well taken, but uh, we, we could we could go another hour on this. So I have to hard stop it. I have to hard stop it somewhere and let Rachel talk to five seconds, five seconds. I just wanted to say that this is one of some scenarios in which how I think about something emotionally does not match how I think about it from a strict deontological perspective. I think if you throw somebody out of your plane because uh, they snuck on there, you're a bastard. But I ultimately side with the property owner in terms of how law should apply. All right, fair enough. Um, some things I don't think this is a good one-to-one comparison because I feel like the claim to your body that you are in that you are is very different from your claim to a property. I, I would say that you're right. Your claim to bodily autonomy is higher than that of your claim to the airplane. I would agree Which with you. is why I think you would have the right to remove someone from it at like any cost. Um, uh, let me put it this way: I, I think abortion is fine and not murder, but like in cases where like it's a late term and the baby is still alive after the procedure, then that's a person and that has rights. Um, well, there's yeah. a lot I could go and after that, the but other, I... the other distinction would be that um, the person that has snuck onto your plane is a fully formed person, and in at least ninety percent of cases of abortion, we're talking like first trimester before like um, like very little development has been done. But to me, that her. almost makes them more innocent because the fe- the fetus is not a fully formed, functioning adult, meaning. So they, they didn't intentionally sneak upon. They just like got, you know, yeeted into existence inside of your womb and didn't have any any say in the matter. So, um, you know, that, that that'd be where I'd provide a little bit of pushback. But uh, again, and I agree bodily autonomy is more important than your right to your plane. Um, but you got two entities there that have, you know, if they're if they're both really it comes down to do you view the fetus as, as being alive with rights or not? And I feel like the people who defend abortion, even from an evictionist perspective almost have to say uh you know i don't know i i I feel at least that there's almost like a claim that the fetus does not have the same right to bodily autonomy as the woman does or at least that for some reason the woman supersedes the babies but uh i don't know for me it's just it's hard to wrap my mind around around that i i i i I understand your guys's argument and like i said i I do try to to respect the the idea that this is not a this is not, like there are some examples of where we can point to things and there's a clear like this is clear cut and people who disagree on this are not being reasonable. This is an issue where although I come down on the other side, I, I would not 
uh, claim you guys are being unreasonable. I just think that we're we're coming at it from different you know perspectives, and we just have different you know different beliefs on it. I just wanted to clarify real quick. I I take the evictionist stance. I do not at all make the personhood distinction. I, and this is another thing that me and Rachel are contentious on. Uh, I all the way assume because I don't know. I, for sake of argument, all the way assume personhood with the full rights of an adult, a, an adult from the moment of conception. And I I plug in like if it was an adult and the same thing applied, uh, I, the the evictionist argument would still stand. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and it, it should be highlighted again that like what we talked about before, that like technology and free market innovation is, is largely going to solve this issue over time. And, and that's ultimately I, I, what I care about more so than, you know, trying to, you know, convince everybody exactly of of my, you know, philosophical view on this. Um, Rachel mentioned a distinction that a, a higher claim of sorts to the body than is present to external property. The only one that I know of, um, at least that isn't just arbitrary, like I consider this more important than that or something. Uh, the only distinction between bodily ownership and external property ownership, at least relevant distinction, would be that external property is alienable from the self in that you can, through exchange or, uh, you know, restitution, forfeiture, or whatever, you can, by your own actions or agreement, give somebody else a right of, a binding future right of access to your airplane or to your can of pop or whatever. Right, but you can't uh, sell your, whereas, you can't give somebody your body. Yeah, it's it's literally inalienable from yourself. And to me, that is the, the distinction. And this becomes relevant in two matters. I think it becomes relevant in abortion, obviously, and it becomes relevant in uh, indentured servitude. I mean, there's probably more examples we can come up with. I actually did think of a third. Yeah. Um, oh, marital rape, I, will, I believe, would be like kind yeah, of Yeah, that would be indentured issue. servitude concept. Same oh, thing would yeah. apply. Uh, that you can't, you be, essentially, your present self does not have a higher claim to your future self than your future self does. Not that sure. you're distinguishing yeah. as different people, but you are literally inseparable from your body. Your body is permanently and inseparably under the executive purview, the executive control of your will. And you cannot even voluntarily give somebody else uh, effective ownership of it. You're stuck with it's the one form of ownership that you are stuck with. Sure. No, I, 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 that's, a, that's, well, a, uh, cogent, that's a cogent point. Um, we could, like I said, we could go back and forth. Dead body. You could say, like, upon my death, I hereby give it. Because at that point, it's a dead body. It's not, oh, yeah. it's not under your right. purview. You can say, I, you know, hereby give my body to Oprah or whatever. I do feel the need to clarify so I can't be clipped. Uh, what I, where I was going with the marital rape argument is I've heard some um, Christian ANCAPs make the case that it's not an NAP violation because the woman is agreeing to have sex with the man by getting married. No, I would disagree with stupid. that. That's yeah, I, I think it's stupid too. Um, I'm just saying like this is an argument I've heard. Um, but I would say that like you can't give up your right of self-ownership. Even voluntarily. Um, no, I, I agree completely. Um, 
speaking of, I guess, self self ownership and and talking about bodily autonomy, this is probably good. Like, I, I'll use that as my segue to the other topic we want to talk about because uh, we've talked abortion pretty good there. I think um, we've we we probably have probably a little bit stronger disagreement on the topic of trans rights. Although, again, I'll I'll clarify my position here, which is, I mean, I'm, uh, for me for me the term trans rights is just confusing to my conception of rights because I don't I don't really believe or like using uh any kind of labels that are like group rights like i don't believe in male rights or female rights or religious rights or i don't know i, I kind of take the view that all rights are property rights or all rights stem from self-ownership everyone has the same rights insofar as i believe that i obviously believe that trans people have all the same rights that i have and in that everyone should nobody owns anybody else and nobody should initiate force against anyone so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to take away any, in my opinion, I'm not trying to take away any rights from, from, you know, LGBT people. Um, I, I would just say that the only really comment I have is that when people ask me on my, you know, if the topic of gender uh, and sex comes up, well, I, I take more of a socially Christian conservative view on sex and gender, where I believe that sex should be between a man and a woman uh, and that's just because of my Christian beliefs. Uh, and I think it should be in the confine of marriage. Uh, as far as gender, I, you know, I, I don't believe in the, uh, I guess the idea of gender abolition. Uh, you know, I do think gender is somewhat tied to sex, although, you know, I do think gender is kind of like, there is a social constructed element to it. And I think gender is sort of like the roles and social characteristics that are, uh, pertaining to biological sex, but there, there, I do believe in some variability. Like, I don't think that because you're a woman, you have to be a stay-at-home mother, uh, or that because you're a man, you have to be the breadwinner. I do think those are traditional roles, but I don't think that those are, you know, like, you know, biologically necessitated characteristics that people should be held to. Uh, I do believe in, you know, uh, equality between the sexes, and I do believe in you know, not being tyrannical with forcing norms of certain genders on people. But I don't know, I guess where I, th I think some of the LGBT movement loses me is for me, it kind of can, it kind of confusing because there's things about the, you know, social progressive uh, uh, views that, that are, are feminist in nature and that seem to really want to highlight and strengthen the like, rights of women but also the identity uh of women but then transgenderism and gender abolition seem to be in conflict with this a little bit and i, I just don't find myself convinced by the arguments i've heard for the idea that gender is just a completely completely socially constructed and that um you know i just have a hard a hard time wrapping my idea behind a lot of these beliefs it, to me, I've often analogized it to in the same way that when I talk to someone who isn't a Christian, I'm sorry, I'm going long here. I just want to completely spell out my views um, in the same way that to someone who isn't a Christian, if I come to them and say, why well, believe that I'm filled with the Holy spirit. And I believe that, uh, you know, Jesus is my risen savior who died for my sins and I accept, accepted into my heart. And I view myself as a child of God Um you know, and I believe that when I pray that I receive answers over time in different ways that manifest them in, that have been manifested in different ways. 
And and so in the same way, like all, a lot of these claims that I make as a religious person and, you know, my Christian faith is, is very paramount to my identity. Um, you know, in the same way that I imagine a Christian, a non-Christian looks at all those claims and goes, well, I don't believe in your faith. I don't believe in Christianity or Jesus or those things at all. Um, you know, and so they just don't have that same belief system that I do. Uh, that that's basically my feelings on on transgenderism is is you know it's not one out of malice or hate or uh, discrimination. It's just one out of I don't really share that worldview on uh, how how gender and sex are defined. So uh, with that, uh, I will leave it at that. Obviously, you know, because last point, I'm an anarchist, and I think legislating things is dumb. Okay, um, there's a lot, and I'm probably going to have to ask you to, like, re-go over your arguments so I can... Sure. Uh, yeah, ask any questions that you need to for me to, um, if you need clarification. The, the first piece I would like to address is the is the concept of X-group and rights. Um, I, I think it's pretty dumb when people's, like, response to mentioning this is, like um saying that only individuals have rights like obviously we're talking about like a a linguistic difference here an individual um, right to do x basically like everyone has like individual rights to whatever they want with their own body when we are talking about um like you know insert oppressed minorities group rights we're talking about rights that are commonly violated of that group um so, you know, when we would talk about um, black rights in the 1800s, we would be talking about the right to not be enslaved. Um, but that that wasn't at the time happening to um, non-black people. So we're, we're, we, that, that would be talking about um, getting that, the right to not be enslaved for those people. Um, if we were, would be talking about women's rights in the, like, 1910, um you know all, all men had the right to vote at that point but we would be talking about obtaining the woman's right to vote um obviously right to vote is probably going to be contentious among anarchists but uh, i think you get where i'm going um i don't like right to vote <laughs> um yeah, i i support the right to vote in voluntary organizations such okay, as a yeah. sudbury school or a union or cooperative that's, that's free association clearly i didn't yeah. mean that oh, um, yeah, I'm, no, also, I, I'm just networking so, your words for the meme at this point um so when people are talking about trans rights they're not talking about any type of special rights they're just talking about the individual rights that trans people have that are violated um generally by the state um, sure. That, I mean, reply to that. I just find that to be a not not compelling way to talk about those issues. I guess is because I feel like then you're just like in an infinite regress of anytime there's a rights violation, do we have to talk about it in in the context of that person's group identity? Sometimes the oppression might no, be because of their group identity. If they're the group, that's when it's relevant to mention the group. That that's probably fair, um, but I guess to a, um, yeah, no, I I I could probably concede that that if the if the oppression is specifically being legislated on the basis of a group identity, then um, you know obviously there there might be a necessary element of pushing back that is tied to their to their group identity. 
Um, I guess, Jacob, you would prefer, rather than saying trans rights, using the phrase bodily autonomy as it pertains to trans people in particular, to discuss the subject of what many would call trans rights. Well, I would, I would just like if I don't know if if I was presented with a law that was unjust, that was whether it was explicitly or just implicitly uh, targeting trans people, I would just point out that it's a violation of self-ownership and that people should have a right to do pretty much whatever they want to their bodies and with their property so long as it is not a initiation of force against somebody else. And, you know, that that I don't I don't feel I, I, for me like that's the core of the argument. And when when you bring in this other language of group rights, uh in the same way, Rachel, that you avoid using the word capitalist because you know you're going to get pushback from anti-capitalists, I avoid using uh, terminology that's based in group rights because I know it's going to get pushback from from people that don't like, you know, uh, conversations with along those lines because it's a it those those terms even if you're using them in a way that is noble and good intentioned, uh, that language is often hijacked and used. For, in ways that you know we would probably all agree are, are not you know not helpful and not not libertarian. So even if there is a baby that can be rescued from the bathwater, you know, with that terminology, I just find that it's easier to avoid uh, obfuscate. For me, it's a you know even if it's not intentional, it's a little bit of ob- obfuscation there to invoke that terminology versus just to you know just stick with the the basics of, of libertarian principles. You know. I think that's often the guys used uh, for aggression. Like a big one it's done with is workers' rights. People will say workers' rights, but they're not talking about the rights everyone has of self-ownership and property ownership. They're talking about a, quote, right, uh, you know, to have the state come in and impose certain conditions on employing yeah. people. Um, and that doesn't happen. You almost always, the trans the trans thing when we're contentious is about bodily autonomy. But I think there aren't there like some countries now where it's illegal to use the wrong pronoun or something like that. No, not really. There's not. Okay. I feel like I heard that somewhere. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. There are, there are like organizations that have added like, they, they like expanded their definitions of like harassment and stuff and that's like been misconstrued as like compelled language no 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 um, to, to to further elaborate this brings up something i forgot to bring up when it comes to pronoun usage i just i use trans people's pronouns because i just think it's the non-dickish thing to do in the same way that like the, the analogy i use often when, I, uh, when i've talked about this before is in the same way that i kind of expect an atheist to not come up and yell at me your god isn't real while i'm praying over my food i don't go up to trans people and like you know like try to misgender them because it just seems again inflammatory and, and dickish behavior do one to um, others yeah exactly sure, so 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 for me it's you know uh, a lot of i guess to some but to to, to tie a bow in the you know phrasing things in group rights you know a lot of the problems in our society right now uh, i think in our political discourse is based in identity politics and so i guess my my nature is to not make arguments that seem to be based in identity politics that doesn't mean that necessarily it's bad if you do it's just not my preference i guess is where i would 
uh, is where I would leave it. I don't really go out there and make a huge, huge fuss about if someone says trans rights, but it's not it's not going to be the way I, I, I guess, talk about the issue. But in terms of, I, I guess, you know, uh, you know, any disagreement you have with me on on the topic directly or on the topic, you know, whether whether it's on the topic like my beliefs on it. And if you think those are problematic from a ethical or libertarian perspective, or if you think, um, I mean, I, I don't agree with any legislation to on, I mean, uh, okay, let me caveat this. I, I am somewhat unsure of what to do with the topic of transgenderism and children. And this is something I go back and forth on. So that might be something where we might disagree politically because I don't know, uh, and this might segue into like the final topic, which is like, you know, kind of like what we do strategically and decentralization and all that. But like some of this stuff gets tricky when you're talking about like, what do you do in the here and now? And I, you know, I, I, I often wonder um, to what extent should things be pushed on children? To what extent, um, you know, there, there, there's kind of like an argument in favor and an argument against It's like, on one hand, I don't want, children to become entirely like entirely conceptualized as the property of the parents um but on the other hand i don't want children i i don't think it's right to just be like well when children are six or eight that you know they should just be free to do whatever they want and parents should have no say over that and there's a balance there in terms of like the, the 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 rights of the parent versus the rights of the child and and you know perhaps this is my christian sentiment coming out but i I generally think that parents have you know well not the right to dominate their children but the right to steward them and to you know try to raise them up in a way that they think is going to set their child up for success and to support them and to you know uh, be there for them and to protect them ultimately Uh, my turn you got the other topic okay i'm I'm touching on that though yeah you you can't i i just have more expertise than like um the details of this topic um more specifically the trans issues um i know what you're gonna say on the broader youth rights topic um so yeah um i guess the laws that are being passed on a state level in some states or that have been introduced into congresses uh those would violate both the child and the parents rights um it's laws against um it's laws against gender affirming care for anyone under in some states they say the laws say 18 some they say 19 some they say 20 some they say 21 like we're getting into like it's not even just that it's not even just minors it's adults who are like i guess I, i don't know i guess some states just have weird more restrictions if you're like under 20 19 et cetera um so the, the these laws are violating um but like the like the parents rights and the child's rights um so- no, I, I would i would even grant you that and i and i would agree and you know i feel like i mean so i mean and, and we're running low on time so i'm trying to just streamline the conversation a little bit um i feel like you know we probably have different views on some of the social issues, but I feel like it's mostly not contentious unless it becomes a matter of like 
you know, the state being involved in if anybody's trying to use the state to push their, you know, ideology on others. Um, I'm, I'm against that as an anarchist where we've, we've seemed to disagree a bit is sort of like, so obviously we, we don't live in Ancapistan or an anarchist society right now. It's rather totalitarian, rather authoritarian, in my opinion, ra rather fascist. Um, and we have to, you know, do something to move from where we are now to, a, you know, something more libertarian in the future. Um, although I sometimes like, I flex collapsitarian sometimes because like I just get impatient and just, you know, burn the whole thing down. I, you know, I, I don't actually think that's a good path forward that would actually lead to, to like long, like, like a uh, functional sustainable anarchy. Um, at least I don't think that it's the most likely path to, to, to lead to that. Um, to me, I, I guess I, I'm a bit more of an incrementalist and, uh, I guess the two things that we might disagree on are that a I'm I'm always in favor of decentralization over centralization, and so even if I am against uh, laws being you know passed that violate people's rights, if we're moving from a, an issue being legislated uh, at the federal level where it's a federal mandate, one size fits all, you know, reigning on high uh, policy, and we move from that to each of the individual states have their own policy, although I would never advocate that the uh, status quo of all 50 states having their own policy is the libertarian end. I think it is a direction towards libertarianism to move from uh, federal control to more decentralized state-by-state -state control, obviously continuing to push that and go, okay, now go from the state to the county and from the county to the municipality and then from that all the way down to the individual and everybody owns their self. That's the direction I want to head towards. But it seems to me we have to, you know, we have to move in that direction and we're not going to make it, you know, it's not a light switch. We're not going to go from where we are now to freedom in, in, in one step. There's going to be steps along the way um, that will be, you know, authoritarian in some sense because i think all statism is, is authoritarian but they in my opinion will be less and less authoritarian if we continue to move more towards the local level um so i i guess that's you know maybe where one of our major disagreements is is that i think that decentralization is is always preferred and um and i think that uh incrementalism is is you know is ultimately okay all right, see, my turn. Okay. I never got to say anything on the trans children thing. So the way I see it, uh, also a Rothbardian stance, that the rights of a steward, you know, a, a parental rights, are in almost every way equal to the rights that anybody else would have in any other context, with the distinction that a child must have a steward and without one will die. I think the rights of a parent are strictly to, at least beyond those you'd have in any other relationship, are to uphold the child's own will. And an example of that is I might, uh, you know, my, my kid is uh, three now, knows how to use a toilet. But when he was an infant, uh, I didn't know about elimination, communication, and all that. So we were using diapers. 
So uh, there would be times that I have to change his diaper because if I don't change his diaper, he's going to get an infection. Uh, he's going to be in terrible pain. It, it could even kill him. Uh, I know empirically and kind of praxeologically that from the time he was born or before, I guess, he has an intrinsic interest in survival that he demonstrates with his own actions from the time he's born, even just you know, suckling at the nipple, doing, taking positive action in the interest of survival. Therefore, when I can spare him from threats to his survival, as well as his avoidance of pain, as he also, any baby, uh, is demonstrating an aversion to pain, he doesn't want pain of an infection, he doesn't want the threat to his health and survival, but he doesn't understand that the leaving feces in a diaper can, will lead to tremendous pain and potentially death. So even if he doesn't immediately seem to want to uh, have his diaper changed, uh, I, I do have a right as a parent to uphold his will, his, his ultimate will, by sparing him the, uh, the, the suffering and potentially death that an infection would bring. Now, practically, I did always try to, uh, you know, wait till he's more cool with it. You know, uh, I'm not talking about days or anything where it gets risky. Oh, yeah. But, you know, no, I, I, I literally had to do this today with my uh, two-year-old who had a yeah. poopy diaper. And it was like, first time you go to do it. And he's like, yeah. And it's just like, okay, let me give him a minute. Try it again yeah, differently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hypothetically, they won't, they won't be cool with it for, you know, days or many hours or something. You don't want to risk the infection. You got to do it. Yeah. So I, I think this, how this applies to transgenderism in children is um, I don't think parents have a right to force anything on their child that isn't simply an upholding of the child's own will. For example, I don't believe in any right to circumcise a baby. Uh, the baby's done nothing to demonstrate that that's what they would want. I think my parents acted in aggression against me when they did so. Um, I think there's never a right to like pierce a baby's ear or something or to do anything cosmetic. Uh, I, I also don't think that a parent has a right to take their toddler, and no one's doing this, but if hypothetically somebody decided, well, my, my toddler is trans and I want to give them bottom surgery, I want to give them gender reassignment surgery, uh, there's no conceivable way that the toddler is cognizant of the ramifications of doing so, that, you know, they can't, a toddler is not providing informed consent. Right. To the question is the, the question they, is when nobody's trying this with toddlers as far as I know. Right. No the one is. I hope they not. would not be allowed to by the medical um by like anyone. By the right. But then the question is when do they become able to do so? And well, you know, I got a feeling we're that, gonna disagree. That can on never that. be a blanket age because people do oh, I, develop I, at I, different speeds. I agree with um, you. It, it ultimately comes down to, and this could be applied to like getting a tattoo, this could be applied to all kinds of things. Uh individual case-by-case -case basis just directly measure their capacity to understand the ramifications of what they're trying to do and if they understand it well then clearly they can provide informed consent if they can demonstrate that they are informed then that individual can provide informed consent to whether it's taking you know uh, hormone pills or whatever to prevent the puberty that they don't want or at least to stall it because they don't permanently make it so that doesn't happen but they they put it off at least, whether it's taking something, you can just measure it by literally directly measuring it. Uh, people often like to 
come up with you know one size fits all universal solutions, but that would only be applicable if humanity was a one size fits all universal uh, species. We, you know, if we were uh, homogenous, and we're we're just not. You know, some people at at 13 will be able to sit and fill out or verbally answer all kinds of questions about the the hormone blockers that they want to take, and why they want to take them and what the potential side effects are and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I've never been trans, but I probably could. Yeah, I was certainly that uh, conscious and could have been cognizant of that stuff, able to have the capacity to, to understand it at then. Whereas others very, you know, my brother certainly would not. You know, people are individuals and are, are fundamentally different from each other. So I think if you see a baby that is about to maim themselves, you know, hypothetically, a, a baby boy is about to chop their wiener off with a scissors. Uh, they don't understand the consequences of doing that. And they would, were they fully aware, they would certainly not do it. I'm not saying there's babies trying to chop their wieners off. They have an instinct not to do stuff like that. But apparently I tried when I was a but apparently, when I was scenario, a funny story, not, apparently my dad tells me this story all the time and tells everybody that like I've ever met. But apparently, when I was like one years old, I literally just went around like just like punching my my uh, my wank all the time, like 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 not like like passively, but like just like aggressively, violently hitting it. So I don't know, maybe 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 I have some re re repressed uh, uh, you know issues to deal with or something. Unfortunately, that one's going to be hard to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Put them in a straight jacket or something. Um, we are so far off topic now. We I know. Yeah. Into the centralization versus hey, decentralization. Hey, hey, I, never hey, I, want, I wanted to finish the. Okay. I to reiterate, I categorically am against the state, the federal government, the state governments, the local governments, anything called government. Sure. Uh, I don't like taxation, is theft, and so forth. Slavery. So, <laughs> and I share your philosophy of an aversion to central power and would prefer the decentralization of power insofar as possible. You know, Rothbard had a, a great quote, something to the effect of, if Canada and the United States may be considered as separate countries without being denounced as in an impermissible state of anarchy, then why may not the South secede from the United States? Why may not New York right. State secede? Why may not New York City secede from the state of New York. Why may not Manhattan secede from New York City? Each neighborhood, each block, but of course, or each household. But of course, at this point, we have reached something to the effect of, you know, where protection is supplied on the market. So decentralization is definitely better. However, fundamentally, a government is simply a group of people. It's a group of people in a fundamentally coercive arrangement, yes. yep. but it is ultimately a group of people and any group of person at, at any level, any group, any person or group of people has a right to defend the rights of others. So I would say you would probably agree that if hypothetically a bunch of states were trying to say torture to death. 90% of their inhabitants, you know, round everybody up and chop them to bits, you know, burn them alive with blow torches or something. And the federal government could prevent it just by writing that they're not allowed to do that. 
I, I assume you would probably prefer they write that, even in the context of, I mean, ultimately, a preference for decentralization, which I strongly share, uh, does not mean that I can assign unethicality to an action which is by itself ethical. You know, oh, uh, I'm not sure that I would. I'm not sure that I would disagree with you, but I don't think the core of my argument was that it was unethical. Like, sure, there are probably instances where the federal government uh, could, in a very like, um, you know, like like isolated incident, uh, use coercive power and even centralized power, but do something ethical with that power. I mean, as much as I'm an anarchist, that doesn't mean. Insofar as I, I agree with you that governments are just collections of people, not every action and not every uh, committed by every person in the federal government is evil. There are there are actions that are are actually virtuous or well intentioned. I would say there there's you know times absolutely where welfare has helped people, and there's times when uh, government programs have have absolutely helped people. There's even inst as much as you know, I hate the police. There are instances where I'll see a police officer do a good thing. Um, so I agree with you that in an ethical sense, that's that's true. Um, what I'm saying is that I think as libertarians, we should, uh, this is sort of a time preference argument. If we try to accomplish some good in a short term by centralizing power, that this is always going to lead to more evil in the long run. Uh, that you know, it's all about what span of time you're evaluating the actions on. In the immediate short term, yes, the centralization of power might accomplish some measure of good. But I think that in the long run, when you centralize power, that will lead to uh, more pain and suffering than you are preventing over the longest analysis of the consequences of that action. Wait, wait, we have a roommate that's a hoppian that wants to come on real quick. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so She says trans rights. About, uh, about what you said directly. The federal government already routinely does, probably on a daily basis, uh, have laws about what states can and can't do. It's not like that's a new advent. I mean, you know, there was a war over it. Don't get, me, don't get me started on the Civil War. But it's right. we're not further centralizing power if simply by adding one which is only restricting the, uh, you know, a, a rights violation, such as prohibiting people from, you know, getting themselves surgery or taking pills or something. It's we're not like I'm not talking about let's create a federal government to do that. It's it's already there and the power is already centralized. Sure. But insofar as we continue to advocate a solution that relies on the federal government, we are at odds with our own ends, meaning that if the solution to local state tyranny is uh, that libertarians are proposing is to use the federal government, we are we are adding to the normalization of centralized power of that whereas we should be trying to uh i agree with you like i said we shouldn't settle for uh just a hundred smaller uh you know dictators instead of one giant one but what we shouldn't do is solve the hundred dictators by normalizing <laughs> the idea of one what we should rather do is just continue to push the ball towards 
uh, closer to self-ownership and, and the sovereignty of the individual. And so when we, when we find uh, local governments, whether that's a state or a county or a municipality, enacting tyranny, we should absolutely, as libertarians, stand up against that. And I have never advocated that we, we just settle for the tyranny. I just think that our, what we should be doing is providing solutions that are moving the ball in the right direction and not justifying uh, a short Band-Aid fix of, oh, well, the federal government already exists, so let's use that. Because insofar as we do that, we are normalizing the existence of the federal government, which is something that uh, I think all three of us uh, vehemently oppose. Just to clarify, I never lead with, let's use the federal government. It's just like, if asked, you know, check a box or, you know, somebody directly, directly asks me, they can either pass this, the federal government can either pass this thing, uh, prohibiting state tyranny or not. And the net result is less tyranny. I, I always go for the less tyranny option, but you'll never hear me putting forth. I don't think I have ever put forth, like, let's start talking about the federal government doing it. As I don't in, think you, know, you have, but and I don't do. I can't say I can't say for sure if Rachel has, but Rachel, this whole conversation started when Rachel uh, tagged onto a conversation I would have with with others who definitely were making that suggestion. So I, I um, always default to agorism. I want everybody to stop paying taxes. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That that solves it. Increasing uh, privacy and exchange through cryptocurrency 100%. and related technologies. Could, maybe maybe we could at least you know even if we don't you know come down to completely agreeing here. I mean. Yeah, you know, in the same way that I can see where you're coming from on abortion, I, I would hope that you can at least see where I'm coming from as far as why, uh, even though, I, yeah. So, you know, so I mean, and that's the point of these conversations. I think is to try to understand where different people are coming from when they have different points of views, and um, you know, this is not something that happens on Twitter, unfortunately. Unfortunately, when I said all the same exact things that I just said, uh, I had one very angry person who. Uh, uh, had some very, you know, very nice words to say for me, as is often the case on Twitter. But you know, it is what it is. Um, uh, I see a bit of a a black pill that I have when it comes to. I'll hear a lot of libertarians, uh, and I, I use that term for anyone who doesn't know. I use that term very broadly to certainly to include anarchists. Um, Okay. I see a lot of libertarians use the phrase incrementalist and uh, talk about things like, you know, little by little repealing the tyranny and uh, decentralizing little by little. But this, you know, great, any less tyranny is good, but I don't see that happening at the, in a political context. I don't actually see, and again, I, I would love to, but I don't see a general trajectory towards incrementally the state getting less and less up in our business. I see the opposite. I see the state largely in most uh, many issues getting bigger and bigger. New regulations are passed. Uh, I mean, there's what hundreds of thousands of federal regulations alone, and that number is increasing substantially if, every if, year. If you know, I had if I had if I had in debt, something like that. Yeah. If I had like 20 to 30 more minutes, I, I might be able to point to a lot of examples that I know of, of which, you know, we were, you know, uh, and I won't even I mean, a lot of what I know of is people in the Mises caucus doing stuff. But there's even good libertarians outside the Mises caucus and even people who are in the Republican Party and the Democrat Party who have uh, at the local level uh, done heroic things to uh, create more incrementalism and decentralization um, and to, you know, thing, things like 
the decriminalization of psychedelics, things like passing Brianna's law and and and, uh, and passing wait, 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 essential. That's uh, in, not the federal one. Not federal one, but in but in certain localities, you know, th there's been progress made on um, things like Brianna's law and and, and important criminal, you know, justice uh, re reform that's been enacted. There's been, uh, you know, uh, pushback on you know gun rights. There's been uh, really important pushback on uh, uh, on 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 uh, COVID mandates and stuff. So. You know, I, it's not great. perfect. You know what it's I mean? It's that, not perfect. I would never say that we uh, can't. There, there's obviously room for improvement and doing more. And this isn't to say that everyone has to be politically active. I kind of take the approach that, you know, you kind of have to attack the state from multiple angles. We need people every, taking yeah. the political route. We need the agorists yeah. engaging in the gray and black markets. You know what I mean? We need you get no dispute yeah. for me on that whatsoever. I, I could not agree more. But from the uh, cynic perspective i i agree that there are a, a bunch of ways you know such as you know weed is increasingly legal everywhere and you know there are there are a bunch of ways that things get a little easier but this is just a hypothesis not a theory but i would hypothesize that for every one you know bad law being repealed or tax being lessened or something like that i there's probably a hundred new regulations being applied uh and things of that nature it seems to me that the overall trajectory of that's why we need to reelect Trump so that he can drain the swamp. No, <laughs> it's the nature of government is to grow in perpetuity as much as it can. Every yes. government will grow until it collapses almost invariably. By the way, for the people that are going to clip that, that was a joke. I, hope I, know, I know. I know. I know. Well, there, um, there's some people who are convinced that I'm some kind of like Republican MAGA Trump lover theocrat or something i don't know people have wild imaginations You're not about it. <laughs> there's a video of trump it's like a buzzfeed i have not shit myself work. during this conversation so no i am not caitlin bennett trump was like <laughs> congratulating himself for like five minutes straight just different clips of him congratulating himself one of his congrats self-congratulations he said nobody loves the bible more than me i know <laughs> I like oh, the violation of the wars that Fox News is engaging in. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The well, uh, war on guys, war on... th this has been a fantastic conversation. I wish we had like another hour and a half because uh, it really has been enjoyable and, and I, I like the back and forth. But uh, I do have to uh, put a, a stop somewhere. So I'm going to have to do that now because we're, we're, we're already over time. But um. Uh, I appreciate both of you coming on and, and having this conversation. I think it was, you know, I think it was good. I think we hashed out a lot of where we agree and where we disagree. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm always grateful when people are willing to come on and have a, you know, genuine conversation. And, you know, it's, you know, Twitter's fun, but and Facebook is fun. But I think this is more fun than, you know, just, you know, attacking back and forth on, on social media. This is where I think real progress and inroads and, you know, stuff can be made. So, um uh i will let you guys have the last word and then i will close out what did we not touch on uh, i i for the, i've made jake speechless <laughs> oh shit last word, okay, uh, you mentioned twitter and twitter is very difficult for me because of character limits 
Oh yeah, I, it took me a while to get used to Twitter. Have you seen me like argue online, like back when I was in, on Facebook and stuff? He just said he just experienced. No, I mean like typing in comment sections and stuff. You ever see that? I I put walls of text. In yeah. fact, you might benefit from this trick. So, I take it you argue with statists all the time, um, or at least do sometimes. Yes. And you'll find, I, I'm sure you have found, that you, you'll encounter the same objections over and over and over and over again. Somalia, Rhodes, warlords. Uh, I have found it an enormous time saver to just save my responses to them. I, I'll just type out a, a wall of text about a free market in Rhodes and how we're kind of like a shopping mall where they're selling traffic and, and so forth. You know, big comprehensive argument that pre-addresses their next objections and then just save it in my notes and then you know same thing with uh rights enforcement and you know slash defense and courts and regulation of business and so forth um i i have hundreds of just these notes saved and i'll just type in a keyword in my notes and somebody says roads boom somebody says somalia boom uh it's just all right there and as new objections get presented to what you paste it then you, you can com continually refine your wall of text to pre-address them. So like, this is the biggest time saver ever. And if you want, I, I can send you some of mine to save you the time if you'd like. Um, but definitely do that if you're not already doing that. It's, oh my God, I've saved thousands of hours of my time just by pre, but, you know, just by saving my responses to the objections that every statist has and every statist thinks they're original in having. No, I think that's, I think, you know, I think that's useful. You know, I think there's, there's, uh, um, you know, there, there's, there, that's definitely a, a good idea to implement. So, uh, Rachel, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything you wanted to, 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 to say or chime or comment? Um, no. Uh, Luna says that her covenant community will have porn theaters where you can buy recreational cocaine. Nice. <laughs> Um, now I'm, I'm, I don't know about cocaine, but I'm, I'm generally pretty, as a Christian, you know, pretty down with recreational drug use. So, I mean, down, uh, like you do it, like you're, you know, down, not, not, not so, yeah, I'm, I'm down to try it. I've never really done it myself only because like, it's not something very big in where I live, but I don't know. One of these days, one of the conventions I go to, I'm sure I'll dabble into something, but you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I don't know. I think there's actually a lot of connection and overlap between like uh psychedelics and and you know like experiences people have on on certain uh substances and spiritual religious experience so i, I don't know, i'm kind of kind of curious to you know dive into that a little myself psychedelics for sure i just i've used uh, oceans of psychedelics as well as oceans of cocaine i would recommend uh generally steer clear of cocaine just because all you're doing with coke it's just a blast of dopamine all you're doing is concentrating your happiness to a short period basically and you make up for it longer after i imagine it would probably be similar to when i abused adderall in the past uh well it's it's a longer period with adderall but it's different i mean for me you know they crammed adderall down my throat when i was a kid i hated it it just made me jittery and nervous it wasn't i know a high cocaine's a very pleasurable high for me but all it's doing is is making me happy for shorter more intensely but for shorter you know maybe like at a at a cool party every you know once a year or something it, it might be useful but it's very easy to get hooked on everyone knows that 
uh, fairly easy to die from. You know, I had a dude uh, younger than me, neighbor of mine, that uh, killed himself with crack, a form of coke. Yeah. Um, drugs no, I'm definitely just giving you a blast of your happy juices. They're just depleting your bucket of happy juices in a sense. Your do- your serotonin and your dopamine, like crack, heroin, uh, cocaine, they're not giving you profound spiritual experiences that are no. unraveling the nature of the universe. Whereas things like DMT, you know, dimethyltryptamine, uh, you can experience other dimensions. You can uh, like other spatial dimensions. You know how we have like length and depth and height. Uh, you can experience more of them with DMT. Um, and, you know, also perhaps by like mixing uh, LSD and ketamine, stuff like that. But people love to lump drugs as this big umbrella. I mean, when something like LSD could not be more different from something like cocaine. Oh, yeah. You're hurting yeah. your life and your short term immediate experience, other than right when you're high with Coke. Whereas, I mean, you can unlock new parts of yourself. Acid is like a windshield wiper for your mind. It's part of how I became an anarchist. It let me shed my preconceptions and analyze things more objectively. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I, I mean, I don't agree from personal experience, but I agree with the, uh, the idea of what you're, what you're putting out there. So, uh, well, thanks. Uh, thanks again, guys for, uh, for coming on. Like I said, I think it was a good conversation and, uh, thanks everybody for watching. Uh, until next time, don't fear the fire. Thanks for having us. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.